you, Katrina. And uh, congratulations to you and Andrew. I missed it the first time. I had to get a nudge. Um, and uh, honestly, I could uh, take your prayer and just put it up as the bullet points for uh, what I'm about to talk about today. Um, I'm a walker. Sorry about that. It disappoints my father, but uh, it's just the way I am. I can't help it. So this morning, I'll start with this. Oh dear, oh dear. What a mess the nation of Israel is in. What is going on with their leaders? Is there any hope in this dark period of Israel's history? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm up here 10 minutes late. I was given 25. I'm going to try and do it in 20. And I don't like going longer than 20 anyway. But I've got three chapters to cover. So in the next two minutes, I'm going to give you the story of these three chapters. I like to talk fast. I'm going to slow it down a little bit. But strap yourself in because in this next two minutes, we're going through these three chapters. And then perhaps some of you will think you can sit down. We start off, Samuel's sons were no good. They were corrupt. They couldn't lead to save themselves. They were taking bribes. And they were perverting the course of justice. That means the law of the land, when people were committing crimes... They were letting them off. They were saying, you grease my palms, we'll pretend it didn't even happen. The elders of Israel, justifiably, were not happy about this situation. But rather than seek God, they came up with their own solution, demanding that a king be appointed over them. They wanted, as a nation, to be like everybody else. Samuel felt rejected at this request. God said to Samuel, don't you worry too much. It's actually me they're rejecting, not you. God warned the people in fairly explicit terms the downside of having a king, that it wasn't the best for them, that the king would tax them, that the king would put them to work. The elders heard this message And they still said, give us a king. Echoing a future event in the nation's life and history where the people of Israel would say, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. God told Samuel to appoint a king. So Samuel, led by God, guided by God, appointed Saul as the first king of Israel. There's a funny little bit in this story because Saul was a pretty reluctant king. At his coronation ceremony, he went into hiding. He couldn't even be found. A bit like the feeling that most speakers on a Sunday morning have. would prefer to disappear. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's been about 13 years since I've stood up here and done something like this. I thank those of you who are thinking, gee, he must have been pretty young the last time he did it. There's one thing I can promise you this morning, and that is that I will be as rusty as the proverbial farm gate. 13 years ago, I wouldn't have needed notes and I didn't need glasses. But let's get into this story and tease out a little bit about what we might be able to learn from it for us today. I'm going to give you a few points. Hopefully, some of them are things you can cogitate on. Some of them are things you might be able to talk about in the cafe or over lunch and most definitely in your life groups during the week. And I have emailed through some life group notes 
for the leaders, so they should be coming out your way. Most people, when they study or hear sermons on this passage, because it is a very familiar story, go down the path of the people of Israel rejecting God. But I'm pretty sure this morning that I'm talking to a a group of people who largely have accepted Christ as their follower. And I'm pretty sure that I'm speaking to people who, who, when they do depart from God's ways, actually have a desire to return to God. And I absolutely know that as a collective, this church is a church that has a desire to follow God rather than reject God. So I didn't want to go down the traditional path all about what's it like rejecting God and why do we reject God. So if you're one who knows this passage well, like me, and has heard it all before, I'm just putting it out there that this morning I'm going to go down a different path. I've got four points to make, and the first point that I want to talk about is that God has a plan, that this request from the people of Israel didn't take God by surprise. As Katrina prayed, we have changes of premiers and prime ministers. Just last night, we had an election in New South Wales. Shortly, we'll be having a federal election. We've talked about becoming a republic instead of a monarchy. And we'll probably go back and have that discussion yet again for another time. And who knows, one day we might become a republic. We all know Britain is going through what we know as Brexit. I'd be surprised if, if there was nobody in this room who hadn't heard of Brexit. When we look at world events, when we look at our country, when we look at our community, we might wonder, where is God in all this? The leaders of the people of Israel wanted change. This was no small or insignificant event. In verse 4 we read that all the elders of Israel gathered and came to Samuel to request a king. That wasn't just one or two people. That was a large group of people coming to petition and demand of Samuel that a king be appointed over them. On the one hand, Samuel is commanded to give the people a king. On the other, their request for a king is considered a sinful rejection of God and Israel's covenant relationship. But God said in in chapter 8, verse 7, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they, they have rejected They have rejected me as their king. This was a momentous change in the nation of Israel. It was huge. It was like Brexit. It was like us if we were to become a republic. It was a massive change in the the life of the nation. But you know what? It was scripted. If we go back to Deuteronomy, we will see these words. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and you have taken possession of it and settled in it and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. And then in Samuel, what do we read? Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. It's pretty much word for word. And in this passage in Deuteronomy, which we'll come back to in a few minutes, God set down some rules for how a king was to lead. So this request didn't take God by surprise. God still had a plan, was still in control. You know, in life, many things happen that we would prefer didn't happen. Things that cause us heartache, pain, disappointment, relationships break down. We lose people we love. 
Friendships disintegrate. People get sick. God doesn't heal when we think God should heal. God doesn't intervene when we think God should intervene. We might not get that job we wanted. And all these things can sometimes bring in us a response of confusion, disappointment, anger. We might blame God. We might not seek God. And we might turn away from God. None of this stops God from working. None of it stops God's desire for a relationship with us at any point. None of it surprises God. And coming back to God doesn't mean there are no scars. It doesn't mean the hurt goes away. It doesn't mean that complicated situations are magically resolved. But it does mean that relationship with God is restored. The great news here is that even when we choose what's not best for us, God still has a plan. It is, however, far easier if we walk in step with God. But you know what? Sometimes we just need to take the pressure off ourselves and realise that God has a plan even when things seem complicated and hard. As Stacey said, sometimes we just need to step out. So my second point this morning, I'm going to talk for a moment to you guys in the front two rows. I need a bit of interaction here, okay? It's not going to be hard. I just need you to put your hand up at a certain point. So there's an old saying that says the grass is greener on the other side of the fence and I'm interested to know how many of you have heard that saying. Excellent. That's fantastic. I'm not going to ask you to explain it. I'm going to do that, all right. So I'm pretty pleased about that because this is an important saying. You guys have got your whole adult life ahead of you. Each one of you. You guys over there are pretty much in the same bracket. You're all about half a generation ahead. But you've got your whole adult life and your whole career ahead of you. And this is a saying which will do you well to understand and to learn. Because this is a saying that expresses our lack of contentment or our desire to look at what other people have got and think it's better than what we've got. And a key part of this story is that the people of Israel wanted to be like everybody else. And this is what God said to them would happen if they had a king appointed over them. It's pretty frightening stuff, really. This is what a king who will reign over you will do, will claim his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and his attendants, your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys. He will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become slaves. It's a pretty fair list, isn't it? Why would you want to go and have all of that instead of what Andrew told us about in communion when he gave us that succinct history of how God had led the people of Israel? Why would you want to say no to that and say yes to all of that, to taxes and conscription and all the rest of it? But the people of Israel refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. We'll have somebody to go out and fight our battles for us. 
Have you ever thought that that person over there has got a better job than me? They get paid more than me. They have a better house than me, a better car than me. Have you ever thought that, you know, if only I was taller or stronger or looked better, had a better body image, was like that person over there, was part of the in-group, that's all thinking in the context of the grass being greener on the other side of the fence. I was going to tell you a story about a car. I'm going to do it very quickly. And I'm going to squash it for you. NWA, regional high schools only go to year 10. So for any kid who wanted to do year 11 and 12, or more likely any kid who had parents that wanted them to do year 11 and 12, they had no option but to go away to school. So I was fortunate to go to boarding school to do year 11 and 12, and that was great, except for when my dad came to pick me up in our HQ Kingswood, because everybody else had new cars. Everybody else had luxury cars, and I was so embarrassed. And you can't hide a Kingswood. Our Kingswood had nothing. It didn't even have a cassette player. Do you guys know what a cassette player is? <laughs> it didn't have air conditioning. And when it's 40 degrees and you're in it for three hours, you're pretty wet by the time you get home. But you know what? That car got us from A to B. That car never broke down. Rotten thing. <laughs> it took out a few kangaroos, but the kangaroos never took it out. But it enabled my brother, my sister and myself all to complete year 11 and 12. And the fact that my dad wasn't going to be like everybody else and have a flash brand new car and the flashest, bestest farm equipment was what enabled us to complete school. Samuel gives a pretty stern warning to the people here. Actually, God gave a pretty stern warning to the people here. He said, when you do get that king, this is what's going to happen. One day the king is going to do all that list of things and you are going to cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. So the warning here is to be very careful about what we seek after with our hearts. Now I want to talk about leadership. I've got about six minutes left. Probably not going to make it. Leadership's a favourite topic of mine. I love to think about it, I love to talk about it, I love to read about it. I've experienced lots of leaders over the course of my career. Because there's another lesson in this story that is often overlooked, and that is that we need leadership. The people weren't happy, fair enough. They came to God, God said it's not the best for you, but he gave them a king because they needed a leader. Leadership is a God model, you can find it right throughout scripture. It's also a practical model. How many businesses or companies do we know operate without a leadership model? You know, even the groovy, funky businesses like Google that we all want to be a part of because you can wear whatever you like to work and you can sit on beanbags and everything's colourful and wonderful, they still have a leadership structure. Leadership is a God model. We need leadership. The Bible tells us to honour our leaders, and I've got a few verses um, just from the New Testament that just... Give us this indication of leadership being a God model. In Thessalonians, Paul writes, We ask you to acknowledge those who work hard amongst you, who care for you and admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard. And I love this one from the writer of Hebrews. Let your leaders lead with joy and not with groaning, for what good is that to you? And in Timothy, 
Paul says, give double honour to your spiritual leaders who handle their duties well. Now, I want to put a little caveat in here. A leader isn't somebody just because they've got a title. So just because they're pastor or elder or CEO or manager or coordinator or team leader, they're not the only leaders. Every one of us is called to be a leader. Because if you strip it all away and boil it all down, leadership is simply providing an example for others to follow. And we are all leaders. Whether we're a parent, we're a leader there. Whether we're in our sporting clubs as a player, a spectator or a coach, we're leaders. When we're at work, we're leaders. So there's no, there's no excuse. We don't get off the hook just because we don't have a fancy title. Some of us have a fancy title and so we have actually more and added responsibility. And just as it talks about there being double honour, there's also double judgement. In my work... I get to work with some of the Shire's senior leadership. I hope I haven't spoilt your day by letting you know I work for the Shire. I usually keep that one pretty quiet. I get to work closely with your elected councillors, with our CEO and with the Shire's executive. We have a fairly new CEO. Her name's Alison Layton. She arrived 19 months ago. In some ways, Alison has lots of excuses for not getting it right. She's a first-time CEO. She's young. But what she's achieved in our organisation in just over 18 months is absolutely amazing. I find it hard to put into words to describe Alison. Awesome, amazing, intelligent, astute, savvy, wise, calm, caring, invested. Basically... Alison is superb. The turnaround in culture in our organisation in this time has been incredible. Alison is a leader that I would gladly follow. Alison is a leader that I would aspire to be like. She's 10 years younger than me, but I still would aspire to be like her. I wasn't surprised to find out recently that Alison models much of her leadership on the servant leadership model. Where does servant leadership come from? Google it when you get home. You will find that the servant leadership model has its origins and its roots in scripture, as does every good business principle. It's an amazing thing. Where do you think vision comes from? Vision comes from the Old Testament. What do organisations have? A vision statement, a mission statement. There's actually not very much in the business world that doesn't come and you can't find its roots and origins in scripture. But servant leadership is, is we have a great model of Jesus as servant leader, but you can find it all the way through the Old Testament. In fact, if we go back to our passage in Deuteronomy, when God was setting down the law through Moses, he says, when a leader takes the throne of the kingdom, they are to write for themselves on a scroll, a copy of this law. It is to be with them, and they are to read it all the days of their life so they may learn to revere the Lord their God and follow carefully all the words of his law and these decrees. And listen to this bit, all the way back from the Old Testament. A leader is not to consider themselves better than their followers. So there's some good stuff in there about what leaders should be. First of all, leaders should follow God. Leaders should know what God wants them to do. And leaders should not think of themselves and put themselves 
higher than those that they are leading. So my last point is our response to leadership. The elders weren't happy and fair enough. Samuel's sons were duds. They were corrupt. They wanted change. Fair enough. Change is necessary. Change is needed. And it certainly was in this context and situation. The problem with the elders of Israel is they came up with their own solution, a repeated mistake. What did Anne tell us two weeks ago about Elkanah? He had a problem, no sons, get a second wife, problem solved, only it wasn't. And it's so often the case. We see a problem and think, we think we've got to solve it. There's a pattern that I have noticed through my life when we're not happy with something. And the pattern goes like this. There's something I'm not happy with, so I start to criticise and I start to complain. Then, if I don't get what I want, or if something doesn't change how I think it should, I, start, I might send an angry email, or a text message, or have a heated phone conversation. It then escalates to the third level, and this is a Peter Harris model, okay? You're not going to find this if you Google it. It then escalates to where I find people of like mind and we get together and we air our grievances. We have a bit of a pity party. But we work out and all we do is we find fault and we pick on and we say this is what we're going to do. We might even begin to post on social media what we're thinking. And then finally, we form a lobby group or an association and we demand to be heard. There's some key things missing in that. We haven't gone to God. We haven't gone to the people we have a problem with. We've just complained and criticised. We've sent emails. We've found people of like mind. And we've formed a group to get what we want. It's systemic within our Australian culture and that's why I mention it. I don't know whether my, my demographic up the front here have heard of the tall poppy syndrome. If you haven't heard of the tall poppy syndrome, go home and ask mum and dad about it. Have a chat about what it is because it's prevalent within our culture and our society and it comes into our church. When I look at the social media posts that I see Christians putting on social media, denigrating and running down their leaders, I find it awfully sad because we should be better than that. and We're called to be better than that. And as we read in those New Testament passages, what good does it do? What good is it if we've got leaders who are leading out of, out of duty and groaning rather than out of joy and privilege? Leaders often get it wrong. Believe it or not, they're human. Leaders also have very difficult decisions to make. Quite often as leaders, we're confronted with, with situations where there actually isn't a right answer. So what might look right to you is actually not right because there isn't a right answer. They have a tough job to do. Paul encourages us to pray for our leaders and it's interesting that this is the first thing Paul says to do in talking about leadership. First of all, with petitions, prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful 
and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. So it was great to hear Katrina this morning praying for our leaders, federal, state, local and in our church. And might I add in the organisations that we're all involved in. Our leaders here at Community Church are leaders who are doing their best to follow Christ and doing their best to help us follow Christ. It is far better for us to encourage them, to build them up, to esteem them, to speak encouragement into their lives. What if we all did that? Then our response would be like my response toward my current CEO. She is somebody I would gladly follow. She is somebody I would aspire to be. And my hope is that we in this church would speak highly of our leaders and that our leaders would would give us an example that we want to follow. And I came up with a little saying, pray for them, don't pound them. So in conclusion this morning, what have we covered? What have we learned? That God has a plan. Even when we choose what's not best for us, God is still at work. That the grass is seldom greener on the other side of the fence. And we've heard a warning not to be envious or jealous of what others have. That leadership is a God model. That we are all leaders and we should all aspire to that model. And that our response to church leaders should be to pray and encourage so that they may lead with joy and not groaning. Well, I really hope that you've learnt one thing this morning. If you've learnt more than that, I'm happy. And uh, thank you very much for your attention.